Happiness is all we ever wanted, I can't ask for more Hey, look, lit off 20 Adderall, I pull up in the Uber just to study Hey guys, what's up? My name is Matt Young, this is Hip Hop Entrepreneurs I've got my co-host with me here, Rez What's up guys? I'm hungover as fuck right now <laughs> I was wondering about that, we were out pretty late last night We've got an amazing guest with us today, we've got Nomi Soi Chen Hi Who is the mother of Rez And we have her on the show here today to talk about what it's like raising a kid who's pursuing some kind of artistic career full time. So in our case, we've got a rapper slash music producer and a studio operator, audio engineer, audio engineer. Yeah. So that's uh that's the route we're gonna go down today. That is um that is the path. The we, rabbit hole. Yes, the rabbit hole we're gonna go down. So um I'm so used to calling you Senora Soichen, but I'm gonna call you Nomi today. Okay. Sounds great. Big step. I know. This is this is okay. So Nomi. The first question I want to ask is, right, just right now, like without even going into the history of it, what is it like having a kid who wants to pursue music as a full-time career? Is that weird? Is that like, like you're just like a hundred percent, like yeah, it's going to happen one day. It's just a matter of time. Or what is what is that dynamic like? Well, I I think it's. Um I really trust that he's going to be uh, this. I know this is a passion of his, and I know that you have to be patient to pursue this passion and be able to fully grow in your passion. And it's it's a process. So with the time, I I try to give Ari the right balance in life where he can pursue his passion and they'll be able to support himself, you know, which is also in the, in the parent's mind uh, during the beginning of the process. It's always in the back of our mind, uh, you security. know, because we know security, right? Uh, it's always um, a concern, uh, but I trust him completely because I know once you put your passion on it, uh, it's, you're gonna make it happen. And it might some sometimes takes time uh, to pursue a passion, but I know, I know, I am someone who is fascinated by the artist and creative process, and and I know it's something that you need to keep doing it, no matter what. It's a discipline. Um, where I think sometimes people um, fail is that when they sometimes give up too early. exactly. So but, Rez, she's got she's got um, belief in your determination. Yeah, and it means a lot. I mean, she's my mom for crying out loud. Yeah, uh, I, I think a lot of people don't have support like that, you know, because you are the average. You know, this is what people say, and I think there's some truth to it. If nothing else, you're the average of the closest five people who surround you. So, family is a huge value between you guys. And if you didn't have family backing you up, I mean, that would be that would be painful to go through. It would be painful because it'd be lonely, right? Because ideally, I want to bring my family wherever I go, you know, when things get really nice and I go to a ski resort because I made a lot of money. Is that the first thing you're going to do? You're like, oh, I made it big. I'm going to a ski resort. And I'm going to invite my family. Well, I, exactly. I'd like to invite my family because they've supported me so much mm -hmm. and not because they have the label of family. Okay. And I mean, that's all I've seen so far. So we're gonna we're gonna like, I think the way we're gonna do this is we're gonna start slowly backtracking because when I first met you, 
this was a big thing where I remember you and um, Senor Soichen were very like not not as supportive not as supportive as you are now. It was very much so like, hey, like you're in college, you're going through. You were supply chain at the time. Yeah. It's like you had the um, the offer from Kimberly Clark, and it was you're gonna go through and you're gonna do this co-op, and this is you know the route that we've agreed that you're gonna go down. Mm-hmm. What what was that transition like on your end, Nomi? Was that was that weird? Was that like my little boy is growing up, or he's like developing himself, or he, like was that like oh my god, like I can't believe he's doing this to me? Or what like. What was that like on your end? It was a little scary, I have to be uh, honest. But I know that Ari, Ari is someone who is very persistent. So you need to sometimes, as a parent, stay in the background, like a planting pot, like it's in the background, and uh, be there as a support. And like I said, it's from the par- parent's perspective, sometimes it's a little hard because you worry a lot. But then you see um, that he's very determined and he's um, doing some money on the side to support himself. He's not requesting a lot of economical support. And I said, you know what, why not? Just let him pursue whatever his passion is. Um, Yes, of course, my husband uh, was very um, worried about rejecting so-called big, big opportunities, yeah, in his career. But, but I, I at the same time try to understand that um, it's his journey. He needs to be able to discover his own journey. And we as parents sometimes uh, think it's about us, and it's not. Mm-hmm. We need to trust the process. We need to say we raise uh, a child with enough uh, tools to survive. And it's, I think he's allowed, he should be allowed to pursue his own interests and journeys. In your specific situation, this comes from a place of wanting the best for him and wanting to make sure that he's safe throughout life and that he's taking care of himself. I think for a lot of parents, not even just that, but it's fear of judgment of like, what are, what are my friends going to think? Or what are the other family members going to think if my kid is, you know, not, ex- not as successful at what he's trying to do as he claims he's going to be like, what if he, what if he drops out of college or w- like, and then his music doesn't take off and then he's stuck doing something like low end. And it's just like this perpetual cycle of like, dang, what did I do wrong? And then you feel like that's a reflection of you. you exactly. So. And sometimes, I'm sorry for interrupting. Oh, no, you're fine. I think it's a lot of, I think that you touch a very important point. A lot of times parents think it's going to reflect bad on you, but it's not about you. Mm-hmm. It's you are helping another person to grow, and they, they should be allowed to discover what they want in life. Mm-hmm. Um, and be there if they require your support later on. Uh, it's very important. But it's something that um, we learned through the years with Ari. Ari was very unpredictable, always Still unpredictable. <laughs> Matt can tell you. He, he was always an out-of-the-box thinker. And when you're raising an out-of-the-box thinker, you need to be an out-of-the-box parent as well. Mm-hmm. So with, with that in mind, because we're talking about all of these tendencies that you have, Something that that um, you have told me about before is when he was growing up and he would do something that 
was equitable to punishment, he you would make him write essays. Right. And he would write what what did you describe? Did he would write like poetry and they would get like more complex the more essays he wrote? Yes. So finding the right um consequence for something he did, it was very challenging for him because he you know, I don't believe in physical punishment. I don't believe in uh, in a lot of the typical ways for you to give a consequence. For him, it was more about self-reflection. He was always a very uh, intros- he was a very introspective person. And what I will do one day, I really, honestly, I ran out of options. Say, you know, I took the Legos away. I took this away, and his room was. Empty. There was only one bed. And he kept doing stuff. And there was, he kept doing things. And I said, what else? I said, okay, so I need to give him an avenue to express his feelings. So what I, one day out of desperation, I took a piece of paper. I give, I gave him some uh, pencils and I said, you know, Ari, um, what you did is wrong, but I don't want to tell you why it's wrong. I need you to find yourself the reason. Why do you think it's wrong? And I need you to tell me um, how can you improve this and not to do it in the future. And that was it. That was the first time I said, and you're, please stay in your room only until you're done with your thinking and putting it in the paper, please come out. And that was the type of time out I gave in. Sometimes we give kids time out in a corner and and I think that's a very uh, humil- yeah, and humiliating way for them, you know, because they, they're exposed, everybody's seeing them. I don't think that gives them an avenue, an opportunity to, to, grow. to grow. And what I thought, um, something that I did out of desperation, I'd run out of options. How, what am I, how am I gonna teach it? And then it became something really interesting because from then on, any time he did something that was unacceptable, he will self will go in the room without me telling him, and he ro- he would put in right in, in words everything. He became a a poet. He would sometimes come up with these sophisticated words and poetry, and I was actually looking forward every time he went into his room, <laughs> came out with something, and my husband and I were fascinated by his writing. I said, "This is." This is really interesting. He, 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 there is a lot in that brain of him that I'm glad that he's finding this avenue for, you know, mm-hmm. to to express himself. Rez, do you remember these at all? Like, are there any essays that stick with you now? Uh, the any good manners. The good manners. So manual. A lot of it. A lot of it's based on what's been told to me. Uh, you know, I was so young. However, there was this one book that I wrote. It was on how to have good manners. Okay. Did I live by it? No. <laughs> he, he was four years old, actually. It was a framework for other people. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I was four years old. And I think I, th- I know how I felt when I completed it. I was so happy because I made a cohesive work. Something that, like a big piece that was all related to it. And I, I never, dude, I didn't know what publishing was. I didn't have any thought of money behind it. But you I became was, a New York Times bestseller. But I became a New York Times bestseller. <laughs> Find me at Barnes & Noble in the clearance section. <laughs> the funny part is that he wasn't able to even write at that time. So what he did is he thought about it, came out and said, Mom, please write this down for me. And he, and all of these ideas, and, and, and no, I, I needed to be on a separate page, 
moved to another page. He knew exactly how he wanted it. And he was only four years old. He By, by age four, he was already reading. So it, that was, I think, reading goes along with writing mm-hmm. and the creative process. Okay. Yeah, it was... Uh, I. I definitely think it was something that shaped me into what I am today. You still write all the time. You tell me you have these, um, I, I forget how you describe it, but they're like Zen moments. They're like the moments, where, like whether you're like in between reps at the gym, in between sets at the gym. You know, Now I do it on writing. a train. Yeah. I do it on a subway a lot. But that's something you still do is you just write when you have the free time. Yeah, when I have the free time, but I write to a beat. And it, it's just so therapeutic, you know. I, I think if I was doing it, if I was doing it for the money because that's all I always ask myself why am I not doing it for the money why would I be doing it I never saw any money from it I mean any real money to support myself would you do it if you weren't getting paid yeah yeah that's the question that's the question would I do it if I'm not getting paid I'm doing it and getting paid for it would be awesome as of right now you know there's a lot of stability in my life so I think that breeds um, the ability to get paid from my art um, cause you know, I think of it as a pyramid, right? Abraham Maslow's pyramid, get your food, water, get your drinks, get all, you know, the human needs, and then you can work on, on self-actualization and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, which is like making money off music. So I got to know then what other, because that, that's just the one that I knew before this. Mm-hmm. Are there any other things like growing up or, you know, and that can be like, from the time you were like two, three, four, whatever, to you know, um, let, let's say let's say college, because I know that was a very transformational time as well. Yeah. Are there any like specific memories, any specific like interactions you guys had that stuck out to you, where it's like, mm-hmm. like looking back, you're like, wow, that yeah, that was um, a foreshadowing. It's very interesting that you're saying that. I was talking to a friend of mine yesterday. I haven't talked in a long time, and she said, I still remember how you were always running a project at your house with the kids. This included her own kids. Okay. And um, sometimes, you know, they will come and Ari will be there and I will be cooking, for instance. And I say, hey guys, let's do a project. And then I said, who is gonna be the campers, the video recorder person? And who is gonna be the chef? And who is gonna be this? And it became a project. Chef so, Ari. And Chef then Ari. that's when Ari, Chef Ari came alive. And <laughs> Chef Ari can Ari tell a, you about it. <laughs> well, I mean, just for the context, Chef Ari is a YouTube video called Chef Ari Makes Tortillas. Um, <laughs> we're completely made of salt. <laughs> dude, it's disgusting. I would never go a mile radius from those tortillas. They were disgusting. But my sister was involved in this little project. Like my sister was like handing me utensils and stuff like that. And I think that's kind of the culture that my mom really set in activities, especially growing up with my little sister. I think the biggest bonding I've ever had with her was doing stuff together. And then that transition to, you know, when we were both into video games, we we're always in the same ones where we can build stuff. I, I always remember, even now, like Rec Room, right? Mm-hmm. Building stuff with her and building stuff with other people in general, but I think also building stuff with my sister because we were in those projects, so pleasurable for me, for yeah. real. And those creative games we played when we were at your house in Memphis. Oh, um, my what, gosh. what was the in, the innovation game we were playing? Oh, <laughs> oh man, the uh, it was the uh, the invention game. I forgot what it was called, but mom, you remember? 
where <laughs> they give you a problem and you're supposed to submit uh, an idea to solve it and you draw it and you give a short presentation on yes, it. And yes, like yes, my yes. dad made one. It was like uh, it was like the the hydraulic toilet plunger for whenever I used a bathroom. <laughs> 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 I as in me because I am notorious. <laughs> Lovely. Yeah, so project-based learning was a very easy way to encourage creativity with the kids, whatever they were doing. It could be cooking, it could be um, Ari creating a potato gun. <laughs> I created a potato gun. I, I think it was good uh, before the po- created the potato. <laughs> I, Chef Ari, creator of the potato. <laughs> no, the potato gun. You would never expect that. But yes, I created a spud gun. But here's the difference, too, is that I think your projects, from what you're saying, seem very open-ended. Mm-hmm. Right? It's like, here's like a general goal. Mm-hmm. Come up with something. Yes. Because the projects I did when I was growing up, like I would play with Legos and I would follow, like I would build like massive mm-hmm. structures, but I would build like it was according to a, like a manual of instructions. Mm-hmm. You know, ours were more spontaneous. Mm -hmm. What in the moment, whatever we have, you know, whatever materials we have in our hands. I remember one day Ari um, came out of his room. His room was, you know, like kind of boring looking, I have to say. Mm -hmm. I I have to remove everything from his room that would be a distraction for uh, his self-reflecting moments. And one day he came and said, Mom, my walls are very bland. I need a jungle. Can you help me paint a jungle in there? Yeah, sounds like your room today. And, <laughs> <laughs> and I said, Swole. what do you mean a jungle? And then he pointed at pictures that I like green and I like birds. And I said, can you do that? And I said, well, you can help me. So that became a mural project. And we started drawing on the walls like, a lot of parents will not allow that. I say, mm-hmm. absolutely, you're not touching my walls. And I said, sure, but I'm going to draw and then you paint. And he helped me start painting and the whole wall create was became alive like a Amazon jungle. And he said he loved watching at the wall every time he went to sleep. So like that was a life. very sweet project. I don't remember did. this. I'm just, <laughs> you don't actually, remember that? Actually, hold on. That I mean, sounds enormous. It was so, I was so young. Mm-hmm. I do remember, like, I, if he, she didn't bring it up, I wouldn't have been able to tell you about that sort of instance. She was an adult when I was not able to remember that stuff. That does so make sense since she's your mom. She, yes, that <laughs> does. I don't know how it wouldn't make sense. Um, but I do remember just thoughts, I guess, like, going back, like, really remembering thoughts of greenery in my room mm-hmm. in Charleston, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. And but that that was your idea. Right. Right. It was yeah, it, it started with me and I think the fact that my mom enabled it, it really changed a lot in me growing up. Yeah, when you were in that point where it was like you, like everything about the foundations of your personality was still being molded, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, "Well, I want to do something artistic." Okay, well, you're going to participate in creating it. And then you get to put in your own vision. But this this is such a great segue because you actually used to be a professional painter, right? I well not professional, but I was. You're very professional <laughs> in my book. Were you paid for it? No, I, I was very um, um, into arts and crafts. Okay. And uh, she also it, played the organ. Well, I I was very artistic. I was um, for me, uh, art was always an avenue to express myself. I did dance. I did um, 
piano. I mean, but I never actually had, had got any formal education. It was just that I felt doing something and I found a way to make music happen or put together a dance uh, choreography or or then then I evolved into painting. I love painting, uh, but anything. Then I became involved with digital arts and I, I got a lot of, uh, it's it's not the, the tools I'm using, it's whatever I wanted to express. And sometimes, and right now, today, it's very easy for anyone to become an expert in um, whatever it is, digital painting, uh, creating a video, Millions putting together a collage. It's so easy. But at the time, you know, when I was growing up, we didn't have that in hand. It, it, we were very limited. And so you have to be very resourceful with what you have, with the little things that you were, uh, you know, um, having access to and yes I, I loved painting and actually I my background I was 27 years as a teacher and also part of my style of teaching was creating projects with the kids that involved the arts so I was always involved with arts uh, at home with my own kids and with my students and um, I, I, th I always thought that the arts provide a very great uh, avenue for the kids to find a self-expression mm -hmm. and that's what I try to encourage so you you were painting and that was on your own time so that was a hot did anybody ever pay you for your paintings no okay no actually sometimes some um, some of my friends I, a very dear friend of mine um, they were having a bat, bar mitzvah mm -hmm. and he <coughs> says well you know I know that you can come out with an out-of-the-box mural for the party mm -hmm. so what do you need and I said what's the t theme and they, she told me the theme and she brought me a lamp and I said okay I can create something around the lamp and that became a really really um, beautiful piece uh, it was a huge mural that I did and that became like the the background for the pictures during the party and it, we used lights and it, so it's I loved a lot of the Staging, mm -hmm. creating uh, art for a stage, for a stage, for any type of uh, artistic activity. I probably should have pursued something like that as a career, but I did that. As, you know, I never mm -hmm. um, asked anybody for money. I just did it because they were my friends, and they thought they was I was doing yeah. something unique or or beautiful, and that's it. You, you know? know, that reminds me of my dad. My dad is re is really good at like um, woodworking. He made the nightside table I have in my room. He made a bench that we have in he our house. He made that? Oh yeah. Dude, it's beautiful. He literally cut the tree that he made it from. Wow. Um, he, he does a bunch of that kind of stuff and he's uh, he's made like signs from scratch and then like painted them. Mm -hmm. um, he, but it's the same thing as you. He's like, you know, if if I had someone who was like turning it into a business for me, I wouldn't be opposed to it necessarily, mm -hmm. but I'm doing this because this is fun and I love giving it to people. So this this makes me think then, so you're you're the art side. Mm -hmm. Where does the entrepreneur side come from? I think that's your dad, right? My dad, yes. So I, I, I remind me of the story. How does that go? Yeah, my, my dad was a self-thought um, business person and he was always doing a new type of business. He was a good salesperson. He started as a salesman. 
he evolved later in life, uh, having his own, developed his own hard hardware stores. And this was in Mexico, right? In Mexico, yes. And he was he was loved by all his clients, and he he was a people's person. Ari reminds me so much of him. His personality, his charisma, and his need for always pursuing something new in. Um, to sell, he, my dad loved to sell everything. He will sell anything that he would come mm. to his hands. Um, I think that's that's uh, that's pretty much a a, a good a, a good um, summary. Summary of what. Um, so that's interesting because especially in Mexico, like it's not it's not half as easy as it is in America to be an no. entrepreneur and start up your own business where Mm-mm. it's encouraged, it's cool, mm-hmm. you know, it, it provides a lifestyle, like people respect it. In Mexico, like there are regulations, you have to get licenses for everything. Yes. You not do. only that, I think it's very cultural too. Yes. Um, do, do you do you have any insight on you know maybe parts of Mexican culture which might inspire people to want to work for someone else? more than i guess culture in america or how do know, people perceive on. entrepreneurs do they think they're like too risky so do you need to understand where the cultural backgrounds are and what is are the major differences and we're talking about two major different um cultures and uh, the best way to describe it is hot and cold weather cultures um the united states of the north it's a it's a cold um, weather culture with it's very precise, it's about information, you have to be direct. On the other hand, uh, Mexican culture like mine, where I grew up, it, it is a hot weather culture. And this is a thing, this is a whole study done, and I can give you later uh, some uh, resources on that. Um, so what it is, it's the diff- main difference is these type of cultures are feeling oriented. It's all about making the other the person, hot the hot weather, yes, the, feeling the other, making the other person feel good and feel respected. So for instance, in a business, if you, uh, there is a business person that goes to Mexico and they come from the United States and they are used to get to the point, let's go, let's go, um, we don't need even go, need to go to dinner, let's talk, this is the information, this is what I want, this is the, so that would not be wa- very well perceived by a culture like in Mexico, because what they would like to do is take you out for dinner, get to know you, and please do not talk about business on the first night that they take you out for dinner. They want to know you, they want to see, make you feel that you're welcome. So there's many, many differences. Uh, so growing in this type of culture is a lot of what feelings, being in touch with you as a person, and, and try to understand and try to be liked by the other person that we want to show you. So sometimes you need to make sure that you are meeting in the middle. You know, yes, information is good and deals are good, but also people are part of essential part of our our culture. And for instance, in that way, raising (gasps) my kids at home, I have to bridge the two cultures because yes, they're living in this culture, but also the background is it's about being in touch with your feelings. So why do you think of it as hot and cold weather? Like, is that just like literally just because Mexico is hotter, or no. is there like something? No, that like it is. It is that? a general classification uh, in regards with culture uh, understanding. 
um, I'm actually reading a book about that. And I, I work today with languages and, and people from all over the world. And I like to understand I'm fascinated by cultures. And sometimes there are major differences that create misunderstandings. And once you understand a culture for what it is, you know that Middle Eastern cultures behave this way, uh, European cultures behave this well, and all of them were grouped in two major groups, hot and cold weather. And then you have Middle Eastern cultures, Hispanic cultures, a lot of the Central American cultures that are predominantly hot weather behave very similar. And then you have, um, for, for instance, North Europe, uh, north of the United States, I have to say it also within the United States, there's a big difference. People from the South behave like more hot culture, like Texas, yeah. Georgia, Tennessee, all of these are a little bit more different than people from up north. And I'm not saying it's wrong, I'm just saying it's a different yeah, it's approach. Contextual. Right? And in, in South America, most of the Spanish speaking countries, except Argentina. Argentina was mostly populated, I believe, 70, 80% by Europeans that came from Europe and, and, and then moved to it. So Argentina, even though it's Spanish speaking, behaves a little differently. Um, so it is, once you determine, you know, what makes this culture different and how you can approach it, it's really, it gives you a good basis of how to communicate with people. I currently work as, as an interpreter and I work with languages. And uh, language is also one avenue for me to express my creative thoughts. Mm -hmm. And uh, how many I, languages do you speak? Well, I speak um, fluently three, but I can manage in five. <laughs> okay. <laughs> what is that? English, Spanish, uh, Hebrew, mm -hmm. French, French, and Italian. Well, Ari just was witness right now. We were. Yeah, she was speaking Italian to the Uber driver, and I'm I'm just saying molto bene, molto bene, <laughs> <laughs> like trying to. Pretending I speak it too, like shit. Mm -hmm. um, the but um, I think that really rubbed off on me, um, in the sense that I grew up in a household where language was important. Language was important, and I think the interpretation. Like I'm not surprised she's doing it because she's already used to teaching people or to I guess interpreting certain things. Like like I would speak Spanish first before Eng before English. And I would ask mom, hey, what's that? What's that? What's that? What's that? You know what I mean? Como se llama? Como se llama? Exactly. Como se llama? But so I guess let's bring it to more so like what you do every day, um, mom, because um, I know being an interpreter, mm -hmm. you see a whole lot of stuff and, some, and sometimes it's telling a story people telling a story through you sometimes it can really have an effect on you you were telling me about a poem this morning um, I think it's very similar to the music industry in the sense that ra some rappers really get in their feelings and they really tell a story and I think the more they tell a story the more they the more they get into the feeling. Storytelling is a lot of communication because you have to be able to capture somebody's attention in order for them to even, you know, hear what you're really saying. Because you can say exactly what, um, two people can say exactly the same thing. Once somebody says it monotonously, low energy, the same pace, everything, and then you get very bored very quickly as compared to somebody who says the exact same thing, but there's fluctuation in their voice. They hit details in a very specific way. They have body language. Maybe they're showing it, but 
you pay attention more. There are just like some key things you have to do. So like story, that that's what storytelling is. But mm-hmm. what, what was your point you were getting at? Well, yeah, I, I was actually, it's funny. You, that was, I was going to take that line of uh, dialogue because, huh, dialogue, because as an interpreter in St. Jude, do you ever have to take the nonverbals into consideration, like the intonation of your voice? Yes, you know, um, professional interpreters are um, trained in different aspects. It's not just language. Uh, so you are conveying a message, but also body language is important. And sometimes a person that comes from a certain culture, you know, for instance, called uh, hot weather cultures again, um, like Central America and Mexico, they found disrespectful to uh, contradict somebody of a medical, you know, any doctor, anyone in the medical field, and they will always say yes, for instance, even though I know when they're inside of them, they might say, you know, I am not sure if this is right, but I'm going to say yes because I don't want to be disrespectful to you. So um, what part of my job is once... Um, the, co- the, the message has been conveyed uh, between the two parties. Then I need to clarify, and I need to be a cultural broker and either tell the medical f- uh, personnel or the person, I, I think there might be a little miscommunication or cultural barrier here. Do you mind if I clarify this with the person? And then I ask, did you say yes because you did not want to be disrespectful, or did you say yes because you actually... Uh, you know, agree. I said, oh, well, he's the doctor. I can never contradict the doctor. And then, you know, m- p- that's part of my job, identify. And I, how I know that? Because of the body language. You have to be paying attention to all the signs. It's not just the language. It's the way you say it, the intonation, mm-hmm. like you were saying. Uh, and sometimes there is uh, body movements that you can detect and you learned with time and experience how to anticipate that might be a little barrier in um, delivering the best medical care. Rez, you and I were actually talking about that exact concept like two or three weeks ago, like the three different kinds of yes that somebody will give you, the counterfeit yes, where it's like it's easier to say yes and just get somebody off your back Mm -hmm. because, you know, they think you've agreed and then you don't mean it, whatever you've agreed to, you know, just brush off later. And then there's yes where it's like, like I agree, but like I'm not like committed to it. Um, and then there's yes, like I am committed, and you know this yes is a yes three days from now as well. You know, a year from now. Yeah, <laughs> that. But that that's what it is, and it's. I, I think that's exactly what you're describing. It's like is somebody giving me a yes because like they're afraid mm-hmm. and they um they just want to tell people what they want to hear. Exactly. Yeah, that's a because huge they don't want to be disrespectful. Be sh- uh, perceives of their disrespecting someone of a higher hierarchy. And then it becomes a problem later on. And um, I think the specific context behind this is that my mom almost exclusively works with people from Latin America and translates uh, at, am I allowed to say where you work? Uh, I work in a children's oncology okay. uh, pediatric yeah. Yeah, oncology yeah, yeah. hospital. Okay, yeah, that's good, I thought of that one. Um, well, translates from hot weather culture to i guess cold cold weather culture of a doctor literally saying logical things yeah and then the person who's coming from the hot weather culture is just thinking like well i want to make this person feel good i don't want to like tell them what they don't want to hear and it's it's very interesting because every single time when the patient or whoever is saying yes 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 
the moment the doctor leaves it, but I really don't want to do that. But can you tell me, you know, why? And then it start bec- why? Because they're relating to me because I'm, I understand their culture. Mm-hmm. And of course, I'm not allowed to give any medical advice. So what I need to do is call the medical team con- to come back and tell them, you know, I need to explain to you a difference in culture here. And uh, may, you may want to use a different approach when uh, you talk to the people sometimes. So we are like a thermometer in a, in a way of mm-hmm. communication. We are in charge of the communication, but it's something that um, it's very interesting because sometimes um, when people are not exposed to other cultures, sometimes you think that people behave the same way that you do. But mm-hmm. when you have lived in different cultures and you understand that there's so many barriers and um, providing in my field at this point, uh, my field is the medical field. So it's uh, it, it represents uh, life or death situations that if you're not sure that the person understands correctly, this might lead to some medical mistakes. So this was really cool. We started talking about um, like perceptions today, like what is it like, you know, what is the dynamic like? We started going backwards. We were talking about like what were the signs growing up? What did you encourage? What is your background? Like what was it like for you? Like who are other people who are involved in this? All the way to like these are major concepts that influence the whole path up and here are how these major confluence, uh, these major concepts still influence us today and our dynamic today. Mm-hmm. This has been an awesome podcast, guys. Nomi, I am so happy we got to have you on the show today. I want to thank Thank you you. so much. I do want to say something. Last words. Go for it. Sometimes parents, when raising a kid, um, are worried that their kids are not being entertained enough. And they provide them with so many ways of entertainment. Like video games. Whatever, you know, phones, whatever. It's important that kids allow, allow your kids to get bored once in a while. Because that's when the person, once when the kid needs to be, it's forced to find a creative way to express themselves. Um, in Ari's case, for instance, his room was very plain, but he found an, a different different avenues of finding creativity. Uh, and I didn't understand it at that time, but I know some, um, there's, a, there's a quote of there saying, if you want your child to be artistic, allow him to be bored. You know, and, uh, and Pablo Picasso once said, you know, every child is an artist. The problem is how to keep being an artist when you grow up. And I think um, providing with avenues and also it's okay for them to be bored. It's okay to find their own resources. And it's okay not to give them things, you know, just provide them with an environment that they can be able to create and find things for themselves. It's an awesome closing thought. Yeah. That's the that's the main idea. High five. <laughs> uh, but yeah. All right. So this has been Hip Hop Entrepreneurs. This was Nomi Soy Chen. We've got Rez. You want to do the Instagram handle? R-E-Z-O-N-E-N-T. Follow me on Instagram, Twitter, Snapcracks. Snapcracks? YouTube. What is Snapcracks? Don't worry about it. TikTok. <laughs> and uh, yeah. All right. My name is Matt Young. You can find me on Instagram at Matt, M-A-T-T dot M dot young wow ung thank you so much Wait, guys my mom might have handles do you have an instagram handle do you have anything that you want people to follow you on any i'll let you know later not yet <laughs> <laughs> all right guys all right. this has been hip-hop entrepreneurs thank you so much for tuning in okay we'll see you later peace thank out you. bye peace out. <laughs>